0: The nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive and cost nothing until use, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you would like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file, or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember the time to set up your line of credit is today, not when you need it. Because when you need it, often we can't move fast enough to kind of help you out. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Hawa Mohammed, founder and CEO of Pink Trumpet. Hawa is founder, uh, is a social entrepreneur with a passion for helping others bridge creative ideas and sustainable strategies to achieve positive social impact. They help, she helps and they help. Nonprofit organizations and people achieve their philanthropic uh, and grant-making goals by providing research and strategy. Her interest in philanthropy is grounded in her 10 years of experience working in the nonprofit sector, what began as an internship at one of the largest grant-making organizations in West Africa led to a career exploring ideas and, and issues around best practices and philanthropy and the larger implications this has on the nonprofit sector. In addition to writing and developing content for organizations, Hawa enjoys creating systems and launching strategies that help socially-minded causes think through and build a solid foundation for their work. She holds a master's degree in public administration at Rutgers School of Public Affairs and Administration, and a Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science from Rutgers University, which is also my proud alma mater as well. Hawa is uh, based in Newark, New Jersey, and today I welcome Hawa to the Nonprofit MBA Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Stephen. I'm excited to, to be here. And I didn't know that you were also um, an alum from Rutgers, so excited even more.
0: Yeah. I love my school. I really did. I really, um, you know, I still at 56 years old, uh, pay very close attention to it. I donate money to the university and every year and, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a proud alumni and I love my years there. Um, so, uh, so, you know, today, uh, and I've always find very smart people who went to Rutgers. So, you know. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, today's topic, great, great uh, topic, which um, I think is, you know, and I love the way we put the the the, the title of the topic today, which is the tell-tale, the telltale qualities of a strong board of directors. And so, uh, you know, I really, uh, really like this idea about this topic because it talks about kind of best practices and what you've seen. So, I mean, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about what do you think some of the really key qualities are of a strong board?
1: Yeah, so um and maybe what I'll do is um I can highlight some of my experiences too working in the nonprofit yeah. sector and, and what I've seen or haven't seen um with really good boards. But I think one of the qualities um that comes to mind is uh, you know, a board that is really present. Um, And by present, I mean, you know, they they show up to meetings, they show up prepared and engaged, they show up with questions, um, and then they show up really invested in the growth of that executive director and that organization. Um, And I think oftentimes you'll find, or what I've seen is many board members will come on and for one reason or another, maybe they didn't receive proper onboarding, or maybe they've just been on that organization's board for a really long time. So um, they'll they'll come in, and there won't be that vitality or or interest in saying, well, hey, you know, I noticed that we haven't raised as much money as we did four years ago. Why is that? Maybe we need to set up a new fundraising committee. Um, so, you know, oftentimes I think onboarding plays a really Critical role um, in how on board how members are onboarded about their expectations uh, for being a board member, um, and then on the other end, I, I think onboarding is where um, that executive director can really lay out clearly not just what's expected of them, um, but give them that that timeline of you know your uh, service as a board member will only be for two years. These are the goals that we want to accomplish. These are the the dates when we want to meet and, and as a board and check in on progress towards those goals. Um, but, but I think being present, um, is a really big telltale sign of, um, a a really strong board. Um, but the ways in which a board member or board members show up, um, is also, um, kind of the responsibility, I think, of of that executive director or or organization to to rally uh, the board. Um, And then if you have a strong board chair, too, though, I I think that they'll take the bulk of that. But that's one of the things I've seen.
0: So I love what you're saying. Um, I, you know, I I can... I've been on boards. I, I have been on boards myself and, you know, you know, a lot of our listeners t- uh, today are coming from smaller nonprofits that are under $5 million in size. So, so, so maybe quite a number of them, um, are, could be, you know, two, three years old, you know, really young or young know, or younger as an organization. And so, you know, they're finding their way through, uh, Building a board, having board members, and you know, I, you know, and I, when, when you were talking about that, it just made complete sense because if you think about it this way, let's say you're about to hire somebody to come work at your nonprofit, or you know, let me say you applied for a job working for a commercial company. Would you ever apply to a company that didn't have a job description of what you're going to be doing?
1: exactly
0: right you yeah. never would right yeah. and really the the even the well organized nonprofits or the well organized companies they have not only a detailed job description of what you're responsible for but they also talk about the culture maybe of the organization you know i, I this is going a little extreme but you know how you are measured uh you know uh review periods you know all you know uh, business review periods for, for your employment, a variety of different things. And I think it makes complete sense in the onboarding process to have a detailed sheet, which, which is one thing that's nice about it is that you it, once you create it once, it, it really you know doesn't really require a lot more effort after that other than maybe updating it once in a while. So when you have a board member that's coming on, you you hand them the sheet and they already know what's kind of expected of them.
1: Absolutely. I'm just, I'm nodding my head as if you can see me, (laughs) but (laughs) I completely agree. And, you know, it's tricky because, um, what, and I've had someone reach out to me, um, and, and ask me this question. They just started, uh, their nonprofit, uh, literally, uh, like in the process of filing it and they're putting together, Board members, but you know, those board members have so many questions. Um, and I think it's tricky when you're bringing on board members who have no experience, and then you're also starting with an ED who might not have that experience or or reference at all, right? Um, so it, it can be tricky and challenging, um, you know. And it's funny, I was recently asked to be a board member, um, and so I went out and I bought this book. Um, called the Nonprofit Board Answer Book. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to be in a nonprofit and you're kind of in one of my past jobs. I was a board liaison, um, but it's another thing to actually be on a board. And just having those different perspectives makes you realize um, just how important it is to to have things clearly laid out. Um but then to also just have a champion, um someone who's just constantly on it, someone who is um, asking the right questions at the right times um and and isn't afraid to to get their hands dirty to to come in and and do some of the programmatic work um, that nonprofits that are really early um in in their infancy um, that they need,
0: yeah, I think um I mean, there's two things I would suggest too, and that one one is um you know how I, it would be really nice if uh, on your website somewhere, if you were to put together a best practices document for for uh, onboarding. I, I you know I uh, like a something that someone could go to your website and download a a, a detailed job description, the culture of uh, you know all these triggers that you could just fill out if you, uh, are the executive director or, or if you're the, uh, the chairman of the board for your nonprofit. And that way you can just, you know, have a head start as to ha- what a good onboarding process would, would entail. Um, just, you know, just a form that would be really great. And then, I mean, the other thing I thought of too, with, um, a board of directors, you know. If the executive director who we all know is usually running around like doing so many different things, yeah. uh, you know, maybe you can hand this off to the, your board of directors and say, you know what, this is what we really need. We do, we need to go back and have everybody create their own job description and what they're supposed to be responsible for, you know, because if they're on a committee or, you know, what what their responsibilities are as a board member, you know. And, you know, included in that, of course, is being on time. And our expectation is that you'll be on time, that you won't miss meetings or whatever it is. Um, You know, that's where I I, would you agree that might be some good first steps?
1: Absolutely. I love that idea. Um, And I'm going to incorporate that. I'm going to I mean, so I use LinkedIn a lot, too, um, and Instagram. I'm, I'm sort of experimenting with. But. Um, I'm gonna try it across all platforms and and see what lands. Um, but the appetite is definitely there. Um, and people who are new board members or even old board members, like they want the guidance. Um, yeah, and I agree. i've most of the boards I've either been on or worked with, the e d is so busy, so overworked um, that unless you have a board member who just really works closely with that e d, and just keeps a pulse. of, of the, on the organization, um, it's, it's hard to build a more effective board that feels like more of a partner to that
0: ED. Yeah. I think, I think we have listeners that have like, if they're listening to this, you probably, I guess there's probably three categories, right? Mm -hmm. One is they're, they're newer, they're building their board and, uh, and so they're they're listening for some suggestions. Number two is, you have people who have a board who have problems mm-hmm. with the board, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have the third one uh, might be is which is probably pretty rare is someone's listening to this because they already have a good board but they just want to make it better. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they're like, well, let me, let me see what else w- I, I, you know, I can incorporate into my organization to make our board better. Um, so, you know, I know a lot, a lot of what we're going to talk about is the first two, but um, so, I mean, when you, sl- I have to ask this question and that is when you see bigger, bo- uh, bigger nonprofits that are $10 million or more, um, what do you see that's the difference between their boards and the smaller uh, nonprofits?
1: You know, it really depends on the culture. Um, but what I'll say on the surface is that, you know, boards that ha- are of the first category, you know, large $10 million organizations, sometimes um, having that income makes board members feel like, well, I don't have to do much except when we ah. have galas you know, I'll, I'll make sure that I sell my ticket uh, and show up to those events. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'll, you know, continue to remain updated through the email or um, whatever other means that organization has. Um, whereas in smaller organizations, what you could find is that the board members feel more like full-time staff um, yeah. because they're helping to to make sure things get off the ground. And, you know, they're they're more on the pulse. Um, but to be honest, like those are just two generalizations and they could really be flipped on on its head. I've worked in one really large um, nonprofit organization. It was a private foundation where the board members were, in fact, um, staff members and, you know, they were heavily involved. Um, it was a foundation and they were heavily involved in um, decisions around grant making. Um, and so, you know, it was the opposite, you know, where maybe one might expect them to be a little bit more removed because there's a larger endowment there. Um, there's much more staff. It's a much more established organization. But um, in fact, they were really invested in, in the mission and in the different focus areas. Um, and then on the other end, I have seen smaller organizations that really need the help um, because their board members uh, either because of you know lack of direction or they're so busy in their own lives and maybe they just needed those names to get that 501c3 status um so they listed them as as board members but outside of that they don't really do much um so so i've definitely seen seen both play out
0: yeah. One of my first clients and uh, one of the first nonprofit clients we ever, uh, got as a, as an organization a lot, a long time ago, I remember having a conversation with her and small nonprofit million dollars in, in size, been around, she has been around for a while. Um, said to me, they were, I don't, I, I don't remember how we got into the conversation about her board and, um, And, you know, I think I was also at a conference too for nonprofits and, and they, I heard a lot of people talking about how, you know, the speaker who was talking about is how you need to kind of constantly go out if you're an executive director or a, uh, or the head of the board to go out and recruit for board members. And a lot of people in the audience and, and my client in particular was saying how, you know, once you get somebody, you kind of, you feel like you don't really want to waste time going out and recruiting board members. You know, you're like, okay, I got my four board members or whatever it is. And I'm set for two years or for three years. And I won't go out and find anybody else until someone tells me they're quitting. And, uh, cause it just requires a lot of time. Yeah. You know? And so you know, when I hear like when you were saying about the onboarding process, about, you know, it taking, uh, you know, that the position is for two years, you know, it's, it's challenging for these, these smaller nonprofits to go out and recruit.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, and it's time consuming um, more than, more than anything. And then, so it's interesting, I think, and I've seen a couple of things. You know, depending on the frequency and and how much you're meeting with current board members, it could be a, an open conversation at the end of that two years to say, well, you know, do you want to stay on or do you want to um, transition? Um, I think having that in your bylaws and making sure that your bylaws are not only clear about term limits, but you know are open to the idea of having people stay on longer either by extending their term limits or uh, maybe suspending their term limits and then coming back um, when you know they're ready. Um, but I think that that's one way to to kind of get around that. And another interesting thing I've seen, and this was before the pandemic um, was in New York they would have these nonprofit um mixers specifically to help nonprofits recruit board members hmm. um, and the way it was advertised was more like hey if you are interested in learning more about the nonprofit sector serving on a board uh, for two plus years uh, come out and it was kind of like a speed dating uh, you know mixer the way that it was set up but I really loved that event and I'd love to see more things like that um, in this virtual environment and maybe they exist and I just haven't Come across any, but um, there's an appetite, I think, for people like me who uh, would love to to serve on a board. I just spoke with someone not too long ago, a couple months ago, who was saying, "I would love to be on a board." You know, this is someone who, you know, has the social capital, the financial capital to to invest um, in in a nonprofit. So the people are are definitely there, and I think, you know, with social media being uh, like magnified because of the pandemic. Um, I think there's also a captive audience. There are a group of people who would at least be willing to learn. Um, and maybe after some time, they, they would graduate into potential board members who you could solicit. But yeah, there, there's lots of creative ways to, to go about and, and recruit board members now.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, You're talking about. I would, uh, I would, I would like to attend something like that as well. You know, find to find a nonprofit that I feel passionate about and to you know be more involved. Do you think that the do the smaller like the other thing I had heard was that the the way that nonprofits often pick their board members, which is a mistake, they they were saying is a mistake. Is is that they pick the board members who have donated the most, and said, "You know what? Why don't you join our board?" Or they also maybe that you know not. This is I'm not saying this is a negative or, or a negative connotation, but uh, or they might use it as a carrot to get more donations from people.
1: Yeah, I I personally I do think that that is a mistake. Um, I think that you know, in the same way that board members should have a rubric before they join a board, these are the things I want to make sure that that board has. Maybe make sure that board has an inclusive um, strategy for recruiting staff members or that they, you know, reimburse board members for travel or something. But I think the ED should also have um, a rubric to say, these are the qualities that I want to make sure um, our board chair slash board members have, and it's not a bad idea to also incorporate staff in that process because one thing I've seen is that more often it's it's not just the relationship between the ED and the uh, the board, you know, it's also staff and the board um, and. I was in an organization once where they designed a retreat. And during that retreat, they invited board members to attend. And this was a national nonprofit. And their board members had the opportunity to meet staff members. And during that retreat, you know, the board was able to hear directly from staff. You know, these are the things I love about the organization. These are the things that I think we should work on. So I think making staff included or including staff in that process of saying, well what do we want our board to look like um, can really help the organization in the long term. Uh, I think it's easy, it's so easy though to to make um, to, to think in that way and say, well, because they gave me the most money, they've solved my problem mo- more most immediately. so let's just bring them in um, because maybe outside of making that financial commitment, that person really might not care about the mission, um, about the goals um, or, or anything else. So I think that that financial um, commitment, what it should do is spark a longer conversation of, you know, these are our goals as an organization. How do you feel about it? So it, it should be more of a two way street than uh, a reactionary. Let's you know, let's, let's bring them on. But I understand in saying that, you know, it's, it's easier said than done, right? Because EDs have so much pressure uh, to bring in money. Uh, And, and for them, it's like, well, this is an easy fix. Here's someone who brought in money, let's bring them on, and they can bring their friends on. Um, But that's not always the the reality.
0: Yeah, you know, I was just rereading the topic for today. And, you know, I realized As I was re-reading this, that you know our our topic was a strong board of directors. Um, Well, I I, you know I guess that could be uh, interpreted as the board, right? Yeah. But but you know, and I guess it is right. It's not the the person who's running the the board. You know who who we're really talking about here. Mm. Uh, I mean, what, what do you think the the best qualities of a really strong board of directors. Uh, I'm sorry, the person who's, I can't think of the, the board chair. executive. Yeah. The board, yeah. I'm sorry. I could not think of it. Uh, the board chair. What do you think the, 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 the when you've seen the really, really good um, board chairs, what do you, what do you see in that type of person?
1: I've seen people who are really excited about the mission and can articulate it to any kind of audience and and get that audience equally intrigued or excited. Um, I think it's also important. One thing I've seen is that a really good board chair will be close to the executive director. You know, it's someone who the executive director can go to and say, I'm really struggling with this thing and not feel judged or not feel like it'll come back to them in their performance review and, you know, it'll shape them or their career in, in a bad way. Um, So the board chair is really someone who is accessible to both the executive director and the other board members. You know, the executive director can whisper in the board chair's ear, hey, this person hasn't come up to two of our meetings. Would you mind reaching out to them? The board chair will gladly do it and will, um, you know, really be um, the gentle muscle um, that, that keeps a strong board engaged. Um, and and keeps the ED accountable, um, but not in a um, combative or, or um, micromanaging <laughs> kind, kind of way. Um, but I think a really good board chair just maintains healthy relationships all around. Um, it's a board chair that makes you want to say, I want to be on that board. Um, I don't know the mission of that organization, but they seem like they're doing a really, really good job.
0: Yeah, I was on this board for several years. And I, so we'll use this as a case example. Um, I, I, w- I was never the chairman of the board. I never wanted to be, but the uh but I in those several years, we never once had a board chairman who was good. Mm. And it was really a struggle. Everybody hated being on that board. And and so I'll take the reverse, just an observation of what I saw. Um some of the, and we had like probably a new board chairman every year. Right. So, um, so we, you know, some of the, the board chairmen's that, uh, that when it was small nonprofit. So one of you know, so one of the things uh, I know we saw was when the board chairman uh, thought that she should do everything, she just did everything herself. And so that was like, so I think a good board chairman is somebody who is like, just like what you would think of a CEO would be is they, they're, they uh, they're delegating and, and following up to make sure things are being are on track. They're not doing all the work themselves. Yeah. You know, so that, that was one thing that I think, you know, would have been different. Number two is something as simple as running really, really good meetings. They're 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 there. People are, there's a t- uh, there's a time limit. It doesn't go over. Uh, it starts on time. It has an agenda. Uh, you know, you, you, the person's facilitating topics so that you're you're getting through everything you need to do. You're not wasting people's time. Um, I think that's a second quality that I've seen in good leadership. For you know what what lacked in the seven and that really irritates people because a lot of, a lot of people who are on boards, let's face it, they come from the business community and they just, that, that is unacceptable. I mean, would you agree with that?
1: I would agree. I would agree. And it's funny. I was part of an organization where um, it was a junior board, um, which I love the concept of, but that board chair, like she was just so, uh, it was such a pleasure to work with her. Um, and she really demystified fundraising because fundraising is—it could be scary for for boards that have an opportunity yeah. for for people to meet. Um, yeah. The way that she kind of just talked, we you know, we felt comfortable brainstorming different ideas and um, different corporations we could reach out to, and you know, I I really appreciated that because there was some education behind what she was doing too. Um, and it was almost like she was taking on that responsibility to have onboarding um, the board at the same time while we were aboard. Um, but I I think that running board meetings effectively is so under, um, it, undervalued, um, but, but you couldn't have said it <laughs> any more clearly. Um, and, you know, I'd be curious about whether People still run into those issues now in this digital um, digital space. Um, I've been part of organizations where, like, board meetings were hard um, because people were in various parts of the world, um, and so they wouldn't happen as frequently. But when they did happen, there had to be an agenda. Items were set, you know, weeks in advance, mailed to, to people collectively. Um, but but now you know <laughs> people can meet more frequently because um, yeah. everything is is being facilitated online. so I, I do wonder whether um, uh, that has changed how meetings are, are held or whether that makes people more productive if we're able to meet more. Um, but I, I agree that running a good good meeting um, is is something that board members um, could really benefit from and really yeah, I-
0: I'm sorry, finish what you're saying. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there's also the cases of, um, I, di- I did not see this in the several years of when I was involved in the, on, on the board, but, uh, but I would imagine, uh, di- uh someone who's a dictator, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone who, who is just, you know, not, a, not doing a good job of, of, um, I wouldn't say keeping it light, but, you know, you know, someone who's really, uh, crossing the line of telling people what to do, like their employees, you know, that these are, these are professionals that are on the board that, you know, have a, you know, some experience and they don't, they don't need to be, you know, dictated to, you know? Um, So someone who gets, you know, buy-in someone who, you know, listens, you know, someone who has decent people skills, um, you know, I, I think what it comes down to is, you know, the the several years I was on the board, there was never anybody who was running the board who was a leader. Mm. They were they were always um, they they were people who really never had had any leadership uh, experience at all, and uh, you know didn't really know what it took to be a leader because I think we're just talking about normal leadership qualities.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And I think it's kind of ironic, too, because, you know, part of uh, being a good board chair and just having a great board, it's like you have an extra set of people who can coach an executive director um, Mm -hmm. and can offer support. But if you don't have that in the board, um, then it's so frustrating um, for that executive director. Um, who feels like, okay, well then I have absolutely no direction and I have no way of, sorry to put it this way, but I have no way of getting rid of this board that I've inherited or yeah. stick it out with. Yeah. And so, you know, I have seen, so I use this platform. Um, I don't use it as much often because I've been so busy, but a Fire. It's a really great platform. And I've seen some projects there related to um, having people come in and do like an audit for your board. Um, Because, you know, sometimes you need that extra person outside to tell the board, this isn't working. Uh, This needs to change. Maybe the board might need some kind of leadership coaching or some kind of, you know, um, coaching to help them be a better board. But, you know, it might not sound good coming from an ED. Um, so I, I have seen people, um, executive directors, um, and sometimes board members, recommend that for their board, um, because it can be a sticky issue when you're dealing with people who may not want to be told that they're not good leaders, um, or that they're not as effective um, as they think they are uh, in in the job.
0: Yeah, I you know I I think if I was an executive director and and let's say either one i didn't have a good board right now or or two is um you know i'm putting together a board of directors you know i i think you know i would i would putting it like a, uh, in a weird way i'd say the most important employee in essence that i need to hire is a great uh, chairman of my board yeah because if i hire somebody who has great leadership skills right? Who's really good with people who has leadership skills. And I go to them and I say, you know, Jane, I, I need a favor. I, I, I need you to come and set the tone and, and really, you know, become our, our, our chairman of our board and really, you know, build a board so that um, when you do leave, it continues to be very efficient and effective Um, when you leave and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, because that's got to be the number one, most important position outside of the ED's position itself.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it's that board chair that can also play a role in whether or not you're, um, fired or whether or not you stay in that organization. Um, so I think the board chair is, a very, very critical, um, seat to fill.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I think, I mean, I've dealt with enough nonprofits in my own business are are executive directors never the board chair.
1: You know, that's a good question. I have not seen that. I haven't come across that I've seen executive directors on the board, um, but not in that capacity as board chair. Hmm. Um, yeah, That
0: makes sense. I mean, I've never seen it. I deal with executive directors all the time. I, I almost never deal with the uh, chairman of the board. The chairman of the board or the board member will tell the executive director that they heard about us yeah. and to look into it, right? Um, and so the I, I'm always dealing with the executive directors. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what else? What else? Uh, we only have a couple minutes left, but what other things would you suggest that 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 are the uh, telltale signs of a strong board?
1: I would say someone who's not uh, afraid of tapping into their own networks. Um, I think oftentimes when people are asked to be on their own, um, asked to be on boards. Um, They might feel a little nervous or they might say, well, let me see what this organization does first before I ask so-and-so or before I, uh, you know, make this financial commitment. Um, But I would say, you know, if if you're going to have that attitude, um, it's not going to be beneficial to uh, the, the organization. I think organizations want people who are willing to open up their pockets, tap their networks. Um, and who are excited, uh, about the organization itself. So uh, one really good telltale sign that I've seen is just, you know, people up front willing to say, Hey, I've been on boards where, um, one person asked their friend and their friend made a million dollar donation to, um, to that organization. Uh, so yeah, I, I think just being excited and, and not hiding that and not having any reservations. And if you are, if we going to uh, board members do have reservations. I, I think just being transparent about it and being upfront about what you can and, and cannot do.
0: Yeah. I guess you want to take that person, um, uh and, and who's really, really good at that and make them the chairman of the uh of the board uh, I'm sorry, chairman of the fundraising committee. Yeah. Right. That way they can teach everybody else how to do it. I mean you you know you're looking for someone who's a real extrovert and yeah. really is a people person and it's just go getter, right? Yeah and you put that one in and then the person who's kind of the uh uh the numbers person, they're in charge of the um finance committee right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Dealing with finance issues. And I think that's a a good sign of of a chairman board, you know, the the chief executive of the board is somebody who um, sees the talent in others Mm. and says, oh, I see, I can match you up to this. Like you don't take someone who's an introvert and not really uh, loves to be a go-getter and put them in a fundraising role.
1: It can be challenging, definitely. So I consider myself an ex- introvert and I was tasked to be co-chair of the fundraising committee. Um, and it was a little bit of an adjustment for me. Um, but what that meant was, okay, the way that I fundraise was a little different. So I focused on securing commitments um yep. people. Um, and really, uh, so for one of the galas that we did, um, I decided, well, why don't we test out this idea of having a wine fundraiser? And so, you know, I went out, um, tapped my networks, um, spent my own money and, and together that event. Um, but so fundraising looks different for me than asking someone for to write a $10,000 check. Um, yeah,
0: I can see that. And you probably, you probably thought very strategically.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it definitely forces you, um, it, Definitely being a board member, you have to step out of your comfort zone, uh, regardless. But um, I think, depending on what committee or what function you serve, um, you have to think about how to do that in a way that reflects how you are as a person. Uh, You know, because I knew I wasn't going to be someone who was going to, I don't know, create a viral TikTok video to to get. Yeah. But I, but I knew that I was going to be someone who would enjoy, you know, thinking about co- what corporations we could reach out to and, you know, coming up with a strategy for, or you know, an appealing package for them that could get them excited about. about well, you
0: thought about, uh, and, you know, listen, I don't think you should be thinking about TikTok video. I mean, you should be thinking about systems and processes and, you know, the big picture, yeah. you know, uh, what's the bigger picture here. So, um, yeah, I bet you, I bet you you're pretty good at it.
1: I, I try and be, which is why I started Pink Trumpet, um, obviously. Yeah. is because I really think that that attention to systems and processes is, is what's missing um, in the nonprofit sector. Um, and, and we could use more of it in really thoughtful ways. Uh, just because we're talking about people and giving to people doesn't mean that there doesn't have to be that uh, component to it.
0: Well, just so you know, on the, on the for-profit side, Um, the, the number one thing that I, uh, you know, I, I've built a number of companies over 25 years and the number one thing that you see with small businesses is a lack of, uh, of processes, uh, and best practices. And once a, a small business becomes a bigger business, it's almost, I I would say, having heard you say that sounds like a direct correlation to a nonprofit. Once a, uh, a for-profit business gets to be a certain size, like over 5 million in revenue, uh, the, what happens is you, the organization the, the has to have processes, best practices, because the, the owner of the company is no longer uh, doing all the work himself. Yes. And you, na- you need to delegate to other people, so they need to know how to do their jobs. And, uh, and that's through processes and best practices. So it sounds like there's a direct correlation between small nonprofits wanting to be bigger, um, and the lack of processes that they have in place.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, part of what I've seen too, is that nonprofits get so bogged down with, you know, the work of delivering services to to organizations and actually being on the front lines that when it comes to you know how we're tracking and monitoring all of this, they're just like, you know, they throw their hands up. How how do I have time to do that when I'm doing all of these other things? But um, you know, and some of that is tied to funding, um, which which just creates this cycle. Um, but it's it's so important, um, I think, to to have that component um, and and how you build that in. Um, sometimes it doesn't always have to be one full- time person dedicated to, to doing that sole function. Maybe it can be inherent in, in everyone's roles in some way, shape or form. but I, I believe that it's so important for nonprofits to to think like that um, and be a little nimble. And maybe I'm being somewhat, um, I don't know what the word is, um, not realistic when I say that, but um, but it's important, and it's it's not such a stretch.
0: Yeah, I think uh, uh, you know that's a whole other topic. But if you're talking about succession planning of the nonprofit, you know the executive director that started the nonprofit potentially um, has to start thinking about okay, do I want this nonprofit to continue when I retire or when? I move on to my next life. Uh, and, and those processes and procedures and best practices are so critical for the next person coming in. So yeah. uh, it's a whole nother topic and, you know, and uh, you know, listen, I, I, Uh, maybe it's because you're from Rutgers that I talked a little bit more today than I normally do. Uh, But, uh, you know, but uh, it's been a a, a very interesting conversation. Uh, You know, I love what you're talking about and as far as best practices for, you know, strong boards and stuff like that. So unfortunately we're out of time. And so I would very much like to thank Hawa Muhammad for coming on to today's podcast uh, if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend, and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app. It really helps get the word out to other people. Um, and you know, the nonprofit MBA podcast has become really popular. I'm so proud of it, and it really is. I'm getting such uh, nice comments from people about how it's helping their nonprofit, and, and it makes me feel good. So. Um, if you do need a line of credit for your nonprofit uh, and you want to learn more about it, please give us a call at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Hawa, if people need to reach you, how would they go about reaching out to you?
1: Sure. So Instagram or LinkedIn on Instagram, I'm at Pink Trumpet LLC. Um, on LinkedIn, it's just by name, H-A-W-W-A, um, followed by my last name, Muhammad, M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. Um, but yeah, those are two of the best ways to reach me. And I just have to say thank you so much to Stephen as well for reaching out to me and for giving me this opportunity um, to connect and, and to share what I've learned and seen uh, with other, other listeners.
0: Well, it was all good stuff. So we appreciate you coming on board. Um, So um, I say this at the end of every podcast, and I, you know, always just thank our listeners, uh, not for listening, for just, you know, making the world a better place. It's been a challenging year and a half uh, and in many different regards. And we need everybody to really just do their best to make the world a better place. Um, And, uh, you know, by listening to this podcast, you're doing that. So thanks, everybody. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe, please.